0: Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is November 20th. We're talking Jordan Love being the man and starting to look like the guy for the Green Bay Packers. We're also going to do golden kegs from Packers Chargers. We're gonna discuss the Bucs big weekend. Marquette is playing in the Maui Invitational. We'll get ready for that. We're gonna also discuss... Brandon Woodruff drama being non-tendered, why I think it's everyone's overreacting. And then lastly, the Badgers survived against Nebraska. We'll touch on that very quickly. I I think people are so out on this Wisconsin team. Uh, I know the diehards are still in, so I want to at least acknowledge that, but I, I just don't think a lot of people care at this point about Badger football. Uh, Before we get going, uh, just a reminder, it is a big week with a lot of different things, with multiple Bucs games, Bucs-Celtics on Wednesday, and then the Packers playing in the short week, you got Marquette at the Maui, uh, the Battle for the Axe over the weekend. So it's a loaded week. We're going to have podcasts all week long. We will take off heading into Thanksgiving, so there won't be something after Bucs-Celtics likely. Um, I shouldn't say that, I, I, I say that now, but you never know. I will certainly have a podcast heading into, on Thanksgiving night, recapping the Packer game. So I will just say, wait and see. I, I was I was like very confident that I was like, I'm not gonna do a podcast that Wednesday night, but I, I won't make any promises. Cause if I don't go out or I, I'm home and I'm just drinking, uh, why not do a podcast after Buck Celtics and after whatever happens with Marquette. Now, if they play, in the, I think it's the seventh place game, they're at 11, or like the fifth place game, they're at 11 o'clock at night, which is just brutal. I mean, they got the short end of the stick. I don't know who, how that happened, why that happened, but if they are playing that seventh place game, that game will not end till 1 a.m. But. We will we'll figure it out so don't worry we have we'll have a lot of shows for you uh, this week and that's more than enough reason for you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple on Spotify if you're new to this program if you joined us from one of these social medias uh, we are everywhere you get your podcasts uh, if you already are subscribed, Make sure you're leaving us a review. Uh, spread the good word about us uh, at your Thanksgivings. Uh, say, oh yeah, they, you, it, everybody needs sports content in their life. Uh, a lot of people have off, if you're working on Black Friday, T's and P's, uh, but we're gonna have content for you. You're not gonna. It's not gonna go in a wasteland. We're not taking any time off. It's no days off here uh, at Tapping the Keg Industries. Schedule will be changing a little bit, uh, but we'll get into that at some other point. Um, nothing like major just might not have as many like podcasts up right away in the morning, might be doing more morning podcasts and they'll be up seven or eight, seven, no more like 7am. Um, but more to come on that definitely could be a a factor this week. We'll just have to wait and see. And then lastly, uh, I think I already said social media, but make sure that you're, uh, on the social medias, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook. All right. We talked enough about logistics. Let's get in to Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. Jordan Love, I said after the Pittsburgh game, had the best game of his career. Uh, I felt like there were some people who I saw in the national media say that Jordan Love did not play well. And I truly thought it was scoreboard watching. Like I just felt like they were not exactly like looking at the game and watching just how Love seemed to be a little more confident. He, he sort of had a better swagger to him. And even though those drives ended in interceptions against Pittsburgh, he still was leading them down the field. He still got them to that point of potentially winning that football game. Now, against the Los Angeles Chargers, he also has the best game of his career. Back-to-back days with the best game of your career. That is the type of progress you want. That is exactly what you're hoping for with a young quarterback. It's going to be a roller coaster, right? It's never going to be, you know, smooth sailing the entire way. Uh, at some point, C.J. Stroud is going to struggle. At some point, C.J. Stroud will hit a rookie wall. I, I know he's had an incredible year, and I think being in the MVP conversation is a real discussion right now with Stroud. But at some point, C.J. Stroud's gonna hit that rookie wall. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. And Jordan Love, while not a rookie, is a young quarterback and those moments do happen. And we did see that throughout the sort of stretch of Detroit, Denver, uh, Las Vegas, Minnesota. Like there were some rough Jordan Love stuff in that middle of the year. But now we're kind of back on, we're back to the ascending. We're seeing a version of Jordan Love that looks really encouraging. And there is not as much turbulence. There are still bad moments, but overall it was great. Jordan Love, the first 300 yard passer for the Green Bay Packers since 2021, with 322 yards, two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 108. Love was dialed in and you just just saw it all game long. And he was just spreading the ball around. He wasn't locked in on one receiver. You had great games from Jaden Reed, Don Travian Wicks, uh, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, AJ Dillon, all of them had moments. And Jordan Love was feeding them the football. Yeah, again, there were some minor hiccups, right? He underthrew a ball to Romeo Dobbs pretty poorly. Uh, He had a couple of fumbles, near fumbles with a weirdly slippery ball. Not sure if the Packers greased up the ball uh, or something, but still, like it was a really encouraging game and something to bring you sort of closer and closer to being like, yeah, this is the guy. A couple weeks ago, I felt like the Packers should go the same route that they did in 2009 and draft Brian, Bra- their version of Brian Brom with a loaded quarterback draft. I still think there's an argument for the Packers to day two draft a quarterback because the talent at the quarterback position coming into next year's draft is absolutely fucking loaded. But the more Jordan Love plays like this, it's harder for me to have that take because he just looks like the next guy. He looks like the next era of Green Bay Packer football. And it is just so fun to watch. And I honestly did not feel nervous heading into that final drive against the Chargers. They're down 20 to 16. I'm more mad at Anders Carlson who we'll get to in Golden Gags than anything else. But I'm not like, okay, here we go Jordan Love. It was more like, all right, Jordan, you're gonna do this. Like he just felt like he had what it took To win this game. And he grabbed the game by the balls. And it's just really, really encouraging stuff. And makes you think that this team should not be trying to tank. I know I saw some people on Twitter like, Oh, I hope the young guys play well, but we still lose this game. Like, fuck that. I've told you guys before how much I hate that mentality. And this is exactly why. Because winning builds culture. That That's how you build culture. That's how you build that new era of Packer football. Not another top five, top 10 draft pick is going, should it help? Yeah. But is it gonna change or kind of reinvent the culture? The culture has always been there for the Packers, but without Aaron Rodgers, without that veteran leadership, Green Bay has to sort of make it on their own. They have to figure it out on the fly. It was really interesting that Brian laga who retired as a pack, as a packer over the weekend, talked about how it was really great when he started as a rookie to have all these veteran linemen sort of help him learn You know, throughout the years. None of these guys have that. These guys are all learning by themselves. They're all figuring it out on their own. And so I always push back on this idea that the Packers should be competitively losing? Not yet. If the Packers are bad in December, yeah, let's have a conversation about that. But it's not—it's not the right time for it. And yes, they are now eighth in the playoffs race. They are four and six. They are exactly where they were last year. This Green Bay team, you know, is so close to having five or six wins. They have had a lot of struggles in one score games. And this one, they finally were able to pull one out and they are getting yardage. They're not, even though that they are not finishing drives and that's a problem. And I, I, they have a good stat in college football about finishing drives. And I'm sure I could find it for the NFL I'd ha- where you're ranked on how you finish after you get to the 40. I have to think the Packers are one of the worst in the NFL, but again, that's, that's positive. That's stuff you wanna see. At some point, it's going to all come together and the Packers are gonna have a bonanza of points. They're gonna go absolutely crazy against the team. I realize they're playing the Lions, the Chiefs. Maybe it's the Giants in a couple weeks. I know they just won, but like at some point, the Packers are going to absolutely explode offensively because they are so close and they are getting closer with every game. And this young team is starting to kind of figure it out. This is the type of game where you can put a pin in it and say, this turns, necessarily turns around the season, but you think about it, all right, now you've won two out of the last three. You've won the last two home games. You complete a fourth quarter comeback, which you hadn't done since the New Orleans games. You score over 20 points for the first time since week two. You you just look more competent. You look the part this Packer offense responded immediately with Justin Herbert cooking. Justin Herbert had a very good game. Jordan Love, not scared of Justin Herbert. Did not The moment was not too big. Just because Justin Herbert was balling out on the other side, Jordan Love did not give one single fuck about it. And that, that's amazing. That's exactly what we want to see as Packer fans, as people who are cheering for this football team. And I, I just think that there is a path for them to get to the playoffs. It's absolutely crazy that we are in the exact same scenario as we were last season. The Packers were four and six. They had just beat the Cowboys in overtime at Lambeau. And then they played Tennessee on a Thursday night at home. Now they end up losing that game. They look terrible in that game against Tennessee. They got kind of their face pushed in by a Tennessee team that was way more physical than them. And now they face a Lions team where it's kind of the same, but this Lions, off, this Lions defense is pretty shaky right now. 38 points to the Chargers, 26 to a Bears team that just got Justin Fields back. Like that, that's an issue. Like that's a red flag to me. And Jared Goff at three interceptions. Like this Lions team is not necessarily playing their best football. I think they are vul- vulnerable on Thursday, but the Packers are gonna need to be assholes. They're gonna need to smack them in the mouth. The Lions have bullied us around, and at some point, you have to be the bully. If it means we get a couple personal fouls, fine. Well worth it. Just don't get kicked out of the game. But if we get a couple of personal fouls because of it, fine, set the tone for once. And I do think this is the type of stuff that you're starting to see it. You're starting to see it all come together. And that's what you want. And Jordan Love looks like a dude. And thats I I feel like that was the biggest goal of the season. And I'm not saying it's complete. I'm not saying it's check it off the list, but you have to feel very confident about what you have in Jordan Love and the future of this team, not only Love, but all of the young guys showing out today, as mentioned with Wicks, Musgrave, Reed, uh, Christian Watson had some moments. Dobbs had some moments. Uh, on defense, you had Carl Brooks making a sack. You had Carrington Valentine had a couple pass deflections. Like they're, I mean, they, they're young guys balling out all over this field. And it does seem like the new era of the Green Bay Packers is growing and winning up before our very eyes. And that is extremely encouraging to see. And let's sneak in the playoffs. Why not? again? Fuck those picks. I wanna be a playoff team. I wanna have a winning culture. I don't necessarily want to competitive lose and I wanna put 50 on the line. They won't, but I want to. uh, And that would be great to ruin their Thanksgiving. All right, let's get in to Golden Kegs. For those who are unfamiliar, Golden Kegs is a segment that we do every week. Uh, Best and worst Packers uh, going from five to one, five being the best, one being the worst. We talk about things that are sometimes related to the game, sometimes things that are not, or just, you know, it's not just players. Sometimes, we do talk a lot about players, though. Um, and let's let's dive into it. Let's waste no more time. I already talked about Jordan Love as the 5 K guy. Uh, it, this was, again, best performance of Jordan Love's career. Uh, you really love to see it. And I think you just hope that he continues to stack these. And with the way the Lions defense has been looking sort of shaky, there's another opportunity for Love on Thursday afternoon against the Detroit Lions. Five kegs to Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed is awesome. Uh, Matt LaFleur called him a war daddy, which is an underrated Matt LaFleur uh, ism, if you will. Uh, I always like when he talks about getting your piss hot. Uh, big fan of it. My buddies give me a hard time for, for really liking it. Uh, but I love war daddy too. And Jaden Reed is a war daddy. I mean, He finishes the game, four catches, 46 yards. He also had three carries for 46 yards and a touchdown, a 32-yard reverse to the house. He is a true asset out there. And Jaden Reed, look, I know that he won't win Rookie of the Year because it's CJ Stroud. It's done. CJ Stroud could be terrible the rest of the year, and I still think CJ Stroud wins it. But Jaden Reed is probably one of the best rookies that we've seen in this class. And I'd have to look through the wide receiver class, but it's been, he's been pretty impressive. Like Jordan Aston's had some moments, right? Uh, You also have seen some from Zay Flowers, Jackson Najigwin, not really. So like, and and Jaden Reed, I feel like is outperforming. And I think Don Travian Wicks is also having an extremely good rookie season. And this again, goes back to that first conversation about the future of the Green Bay Packers. Jaden Reed was tremendous in this game and continues to show up every damn night. And so that's really a positive for Green Bay. And he continues to be one of the most important Green Bay Packers of this still young, I wouldn't say young season, but midway point through the season. I would say Reed's probably one of the top five most important packers, right? Like he has developed into quote unquote wide receiver one. We're kind of obsessed with figuring out who is the top receiver, who isn't. I just, my personal opinion is just ride the hot hand. But I think what's nice about Reed and Wicks uh, in, in a sense is they always seem to be reliable. They always seem to be open when you need them to be. And that's something I don't think we could always say for Dobbs and Watson. Another five kegger goes to goes to the Chargers being the Chargers. I look, I, I understand what some people would say. The haters would say, Charlie, the Chargers had five drops. Don't get too excited because if the Chargers don't drop those balls, the Packers lose this football game. Yeah, okay, right? But if Anders Carlson makes a couple couple field goals, the Packers have 27 points. Um, if Jordan Love doesn't take a couple sacks, the Packers might have some points. Like there are moments in games on both sides of it. So I'm thankful that the Chargers played like idiots and they looked, you know, just unprepared and they did not, weren't able to handle the cold weather of Lambeau Field. And it wasn't even that cold. It was like 47 degrees, but they, yeah, they just could not catch the ball. And they had a brutal fumble at the end with Austin Eckler. I, look, I don't care. I will never apologize for a victory. I, I will say I felt like the Packers still went out and won that game. Even though the Chargers might have gifted them opportunities, I still feel like Green Bay went out and won that football game. Another five keg to the Lambo Leap. We have the Leaps are back. Uh, for some reason, the Packers weren't doing Lambo Leaps. Uh, maybe because of the bad weather against the Rams. It was rainy. Uh, against Los Angeles, but everybody was leaping. I think Dobbs was the only one that didn't leap, uh, but everybody else did a leap. Tucker Craft did a leap, even though it wasn't a touchdown. Got called back, whatever, man. Uh, it's awesome to see the leaps. After we've seen uh, the Ravens do their own thing, the Bengals do their own thing. My mom, not, my mom, one of my things my mom absolutely hates is when other teams do the Lambeau leap. Uh, she feels like it should only be the Packers, which I can't blame her. Another five keg to neighborhood draft. Uh, it's a spot in Milwaukee, uh, right out, basically like Milwaukee Tosa. Unbelievable great game day atmosphere there. I, I we had such a blast. I went with my buddy Doe's and my, my buddy J and we we were there uh, really for the whole game. Then we stayed after, and just great beer, great beer, craft beer selection. They have a ham. Uh, deal. They also have wings available. Uh, they, they have a, a, also hams for 350, the tall boys, a great bourbon selection, like really nice guys uh, behind the bar who we chatted up with. And it wasn't like entirely like jam packed and like obnoxious and a bunch of music. Like it isn't exactly a quote unquote Packer bar. And I think that is exactly how you wanna play it if you're going to a game on, or you're going out on a Sunday. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't do it all the time. Partly it's because I usually go out on Saturdays, so I don't necessarily need to double up. I'm not (laughs) 23, 24, even though that is what I did this weekend. it, but also it's just like, I don't want to deal with the crops and I want to deal with just everybody yelling and thinking they're an expert when I do that at, at home. Like it just let me, let me cook at home. But yeah, shout out to neighborhood draft, man. I had a blast. Uh, look, I think we're going to try to go back every month, officially, unofficially made it a, a tradition, uh, with the three of us. So we'll see if we keep that a, around, but the neighborhood draft was awesome. All right. Four kegs, Rashawn Gary. Uh I, you know, he made the sack when they needed it. They needed a sack late in this game. Rashawn Gary showed up. Rashawn Gary recovered a fumble. He he really had an impact down the stretch in this football game, and that is exactly what you want. We never really had time to touch on Matt Schneidman's really shoddy piece that I, I just hated about Rashawn Gary. You know, oh, he's not producing and it's like been a four week sample. And then he was complaining that not enough people were reading it on the radio. Like he was openly whining on the radio. It was just pathetic. And I feel like you gotta give people time and sometimes it's still, he's still sort of getting back from this injury, and he's getting used to playing more snaps and everything else. And so I, I knew that at some point Rashawn Gary would show up, and he did in this game. And that was great. And that was exactly what the Packers needed on that defense that was struggling pretty much for the most part in the second half to deal with Justin Herbert. Don Travian Wicks, also a four keg, uh, three catches for 95 yards, huge 35-yard r- run after the catch af- in the fourth quarter. That was the game-winning drive for Jordan Love. Uh, Wicks just bounced off a defender and kept running. Uh, that guy is an asset. He is a really, really good player. Uh, my guy Lamps was saying, how the fuck did he fall to the fifth round? You know, that's sometimes this, this is where good scouting gets you, gets you through. And I know we've Been hard on Brian Gunekust, and I think for good reason, but... He's, kind of, he's nailed this draft. Like, it's hard to hard to not look at this draft and think and don't think Brian Gunakus nailed it because we're going to talk about another couple of these guys who are Gunakus draft picks of this year uh, in the keg, in, in the positive part of Golden Kegs. Zach Tom also in a four keg really just for the fumble recovery. You know, in the, you know, down the stretch, we've had so many games that Packers have lost. We're like, well, if just this weren't to happen, we win the game. And that would have been another moment. If Tom doesn't recover that fumble, Packers lose probably lose the game uh or you know they they come up short they get get another score but what would that have been so the Chargers were up were that four at that point so if they had got a field goal it would have been a seven point game best the Packers could have done was went to overtime with the Chargers and that could have been on the table they would need to hold a Chargers team that was cooking with Herbert in the second half to a field goal versus a touchdown right which uh, is a tall task so again great recovery by Zach Tom uh saved the Packers in that He's been really good at right tackle. I I think we talked about it like yesterday, was that? Two weeks ago about, you know, MVP of the season. And I said, Zach Tom, because I just feel he's been the one constant at the right tackle position. And I think Green Bay does have a right tackle of the future. And I I think that is Zach Tom. And that's the guy I think that you, him and Elton Jenkins are two that you're gonna build that offensive line with going forward. Uh, Three kegs, Tucker Craft. You know, Tucker Craft had the catch and we said he nearly made a touchdown. Out of it, uh, he his foot went over the line, but he had two catches for 32 yards. He's slowly starting to kind of figure it out in the NFL, isn't he? Like we're starting to see Tucker Craft sort of get acclimated to NFL football, and that could be a huge weapon for Green Bay down the stretch. Is having a second really athletic wide receiver, and then you, how do teams cover the Packers in the middle of the field with? Luke Musgrave with Tucker Craft with Jaden Reed, that feels like an impossible task. So really liked what I saw from Tucker Craft, you know, in limited sort of moments. Uh, Carrington Valentine gets a three keg, you know, Carrington Valentine had some bad moments. Uh, There was the Quinton Johnson, you know, drop where, if if Johnson catches that, he's probably in the end zone and and Valentine gets beat. And we're probably talking about Valentine as a two keg or a one keg, but he had three pass deflections in, in this game. He's had six since being a starter for Sewell Douglas. Uh, he's just playing pretty solid. Like I think the Valentine experience has went maybe a little bit better than expected. I know Keenan Allen went off today, but I don't think anyone's surprised by that. You didn't have Jair Alexander. I think when you get Jair back and hopefully you will get him back for Thursday's game against the Lions, I I think you're going to see Valentine be even better. Um, And with not having to go up against the wide receiver one and you're facing wide receiver two and wide receiver three, I think you will see a better version of Carrington Valentine. Two kegs. Uh, Matt Lafleur's late game execution. He called himself out for it. He said he was way too soft. Uh, it was three straight runs up the middle. It was the Ted Cruz playbook. Uh, you just I hate that. And we've talked about uh, on a lot of Recap Monday shows about Matt Lafleur being a little bit too conservative and not necessarily doing doing enough and sort of you know. N- not going whole hog with the Green Bay Packer team, when sometimes Aaron Rodgers, you would definitely see that out of LaFleur. And this was another situation where he had a chance to put the paddle to the metal and didn't. So I, I would love to see him let Jordan Love win that football game, third and six. One time the Chargers had a timeout. He said, we didn't get the look that we wanted. I should have called timeout. Absolutely, like learn from it. And hopefully in the next time when that comes up, you'll let, especially with Jordan Love playing well. Like I could understand if Jordan Love was struggling and the Packers were winning despite Love not playing well. And you're like, all right, we just don't trust Jordan to make the smart decision, right? A little bit of a gunslinger, sometimes can force it in there. Maybe he's had like three interceptions or something like that. But this wasn't one of those days. Jordan Love had was over 300 yards at that point. He had been just absolutely on fire with his guys. And I feel like I Wicks did get a value for a concussion, which is could be a huge thing with the Thursday game here on deck. But I, I Jaden Reed, right, you know, slant route, five seven, eight yards, get the first down, kneel it out, win the game. Don't give the Chargers a chance to win this football game. Thankfully they did nothing with it. But that that could have been dire. Um, Also a two keg To the review audience Uh, So I was doing the review Outside of the neighborhood draft I did not do it inside the bar Um, Just felt like it was Not necessarily a review crowd And then they were They asked to watch it after They're like Can we watch the review? And I was like I guess I guess you can So uh, I I showed it to I think the owner uh, Which is a a new thing for me Uh, But yeah was slightly embarrassing, you know, not necessarily uh, exactly what I want. Could have definitely went away from the window, but I wanted to shout out the, the place. Cause as I said, it was a great time. So yeah, not great to have a review audience. One keg, Anders Carlson. Holy fuck, dude. Like, I don't know uh, if the Packers can continue on with Carlson. They play too many close games to have a bad kicker. And I, I just wonder is, you know, will the Lions game kind of be a last stand? because they, it's in a dome. Carlson should be more than enough than to have enough leg to be comfortable there. He, he needs to show up. That's a huge game for him because then you have a long week. You can try out kickers. You can put guys through and see who what other options could be available. Now, I hate to give up on a rookie kicker, especially the history of his brother, Daniel, had a kind of a rough rookie start with the Vikings, a, famously against the Packers, Mike Zimmer caught him. He then went to the Raiders and has been the Raiders kicker ever since. So you do, there is like history there to say, all right, why is he missing field goals? Is it the pressure? Is it just, the, he's just struggling more than I think for anybody's liking. I don't think anybody really likes what they've seen out of, out of Carlson. all all season long and it's been a struggle man and if he made the act even if he made that extra point the Packers are down three and they they need a field goal to tie now maybe it helped that they needed a touchdown it let the Packers push the ball a little bit and not be too conservative but still I don't want to be in that scenario also he missed the field goal I mean it should have been 2020 with the Packers taking the ball down the field to try to win the game and that just didn't happen. It's just. It never feels good to not have a trustworthy kicker and Carlson's that right now. Now, can he figure it out? Absolutely. Kickers can go through these stretches and then suddenly look like gods again. But it's a very important kind of stretch here for Carlson as you have this Thursday game and then you have another sort of mini bye before you play the Chiefs. And I just wonder if Carlson struggles in a controlled environment like Ford Field, if that's the end of him or they start looking elsewhere. Even if they look elsewhere, just to put a little pressure on him, you know maybe they just put a kicker on a practice squad and they say all right well you gotta you gotta show up or show out because they're not gonna necessarily keep two kickers you know on their team. Last or right, I have two more one kegs uh Jonathan Owens another one keg uh I have really rough stuff from Jonathan Owens. Uh I is Darnell Savage can I think can come back maybe uh, it would be great to get Darnold Savage back. Uh, Anthony Johnson Jr. I think's done well, and so maybe he takes his takes Owen's spot when Rudy Ford comes back from injury. Hopefully, you get Rudy Ford back for Thursday. Uh, him being out the last couple of weeks has been rough, uh, but we'll just sort of have to see, and we'll have to see if that's if that's on the table. Um, but it, it'll just be very. It, it would be it would behoove Green Bay to make sure that you could get you know, something out of your safety position because Jonathan Owens, that that tackle he had uh, for Stone, Serrat or whatever the guy's name is for the Chargers that caught the first touchdown was just awful. Uh, that was really rough stuff from Jonathan Owens. And so hopefully they they aren't able to have to have Jonathan Owens out again uh, next or on Thursday. Lastly, the Packers injuries, man, it was a mass unit for Green Bay. We mentioned the Wicks concussion, which happened very late. Aaron Jones looked like he tore his ACL. It seemed like all was kind of lost for Aaron Jones. Uh, now And then they said after the game that he avoided a long-term injury. Uh, it seems like he'll probably miss, I would assume at this point, he's not gonna play against Detroit. And then you'll have him for the Chiefs game, hopefully. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, that you get him for that Chiefs game, uh, and it's only a one-week injury. They're gonna have to get some sort of running back because Emmanuel Wilson did dislocate his shoulder. Again, I don't think that that's gonna be a injury that Wilson will be able to come back from anytime soon. Feel bad for Wilson too, because he lost his dog. I don't know if he found his dog. I hope he did. I should probably check that on Instagram because he uh, Scheinman tweeted that out, that he had lost his dog. And so hopefully he found it, because man, what a shitty week. Uh, Losing your dog and dislocating your shoulder is is really really rough and then Campbell had a stinger um I don't know if he came back into the game but I, uh, you know that's that's not great um so hopefully the Packers are going to be okay heading into Detroit um you hate to get so many injuries on a short week um and facing a team against Detroit that's pretty brutal in terms of they'll beat you up um so we'll and that turf is has not fun uh you know it in Stokes it did in Rashawn Gary um that that we really don't need need that out of everybody else uh and yeah and that is your golden kegs for the game against the Los Angeles Chargers let's move on and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks during that Jonathan Owens thing I got distracted because I I have the Monday night game on or uh the Sunday night game on as I tape and Saw that East Dakota got scored on at the very, very end of this game, um, and now trailing with one, one, minute to go. We'll see if the past not, Josh Dobbs can lead them down the field. We'll, we'll wait and wait and see uh, as we uh, continue to pod here. But more importantly, the Milwaukee Bucks went two and zero this weekend. Milwaukee Bucks are nine and four. They're three and zero since Archon fourteen wrote that Adrian Griffin should be fired on Brew Hoop. Uh, yeah it's it's been great uh this was a really good weekend for the milwaukee bucks and two things stood out to me in a big way uh and then i do want to talk about you know some takeaways that from the, both those games Uh number one on friday the bucks scuffled out the gates you are like oh shit here we go again you know they trailed by nine against the hornets and you're like and I, I wasn't going to be able to have a ton of eyes on the game because I was going out to dinner. Think, actually, the Supper Club had the game on, which was great, which was a, a added bonus as I had my cocktails before dinner. Jackson Grill, by the way, as an aside, great, great uh, steakhouse, uh, Supper Club. Uh, had a 24-ounce ribeye. was beautiful. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. So another recommendation uh, for your boy. But, the so after they trailed by nine, the Milwaukee Bucks would beat the Hornets by 40 points, 102 to 62, pure unfiltered domination. Like I understand the Hornets are probably one of the worst teams in basketball. They got all their guys back. Miles Bridges was back, Gordon Hayward was back and it didn't fucking matter. The Bucks absolutely took them to the woodshed after that bad first quarter. They're like, okay, enough fucking around. We're gonna beat your ass. And they did just that. And I think for to do that on the road, To do that in a scenario that has not necessarily been the Bucs' foray this year, just really, again, spoke to kind of what the Bucs have been building, you know, in the last few few weeks, few games, I shouldn't say weeks. And then number two, the Bucs could have easily waved the white flag against the Dallas Mavericks on Saturday night. It's a back-to-back. The Mavericks have a rest advantage. They were up 10 going into that fourth fourth quarter. It looked like the Bucks' legs had finally caught up to them. And again, the Bucs said, fuck that. And the Bucs had a 43 point fourth quarter and won the game and won it convincingly. They won by seven. Like they, they didn't even be, it wasn't like a last second shot or anything like that. They won it convincingly and beat this Mavericks team. And I was really impressed by that. I hope everybody was watching. I understand it's Saturday night. People are probably out to dinner, but what the Bucs did to that Mavericks team in the fourth quarter tells you everything you need to know about the ceiling of this basketball team and sort of the drive and the will to be great. Uh, the Bucs, you know, Giannis and Dame played 38 minutes in that game. Uh, is Mike Bounos are really playing his guys 30, 38, 40 minutes on a second half of a back-to-back? Absolutely not. And again, this is where we see the difference of Griff versus Bud. I feel like in those games, the Bucs would wave the white flag and just say, all right, we'll move on. We have two games against Washington to pick up wins. It's fine. It sucks to lose at home, but we'll figure it out and we'll be okay. The Bucs did none, none of that. They did not wave the white flag at all, came back against the Mavericks, locked down defensively, and were able to win. It was a really great basketball game though. I, If you missed it because you were out to dinner or you watching the Badgers, like I really recommend watching the nine-minute highlights of that game. Uh, you know, Luca, Kyrie... Giannis, Dame were all had different moments going back and forth. It was a really fun fucking basketball game and probably my favorite win of the year. Uh, they just, they keep stacking great wins, right? Like, and that's, I guess, another like bigger takeaway from this week and weekend is they keep getting these big wins, right? Like think about all the wins this week. Chicago Bulls kind of back their against the wall. I've lost some, you know, lost the game, whatever. I think they lost two straight. Come out, beat the Bulls' ass, then you you go up on Wednesday night, no Giannis. He has a calf thing. They rest Giannis that night. You're like, okay, they're gonna get their asses kicked. Giannis has been such a catalyst for this team. Nope. Damian Lillard, Beasley on absolute fire. Then what we talked about with the Hornets and Mavericks, like this is, this is what you want. And all of the sudden, the Milwaukee Bucks are starting to look like one of the NBA elites. And that, that's scary for the league. As I, I've said in a few different reviews, like pray for the league. Like, if you look at the Milwaukee, if the if we're gonna do defensive ratings and we're gonna get into the stats, the last five games, oh, I do not have the data available. I was all excited. Oh no, here we go. Last five games for what we've seen from a net rating perspective. Your Milwaukee Bucks have a 9.1 net rating. Uh, they are sixth in the NBA. Their offensive rating is 120th, which is sixth. Their defensive rating is a little bit lower at eighth. But the Bucks are playing really good basketball right now, you guys, and I, I'm really kind of excited for what we're seeing. And the fact that they don't look the same sort of lifelessness that we saw against, you know, before, at the start of this year just tells you everything. And, you know, last four games, so in that winning streak, just to add on, offensive rating of 125 over 100, uh, net rating of 15.3. The Bucks have been feeling it. And there were a lot of other things to take away though too from these games. Uh, Giannis absolutely dominated the small Mavericks and Grant Williams, 40 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. You know, just an absolute great Giannis game. Uh, he had a really good first half. He had a great, you know, fourth quarter. I hope people are paying attention to the season that Antetokounmpo is having. I feel like there's nothing that's really being talked about. You know, we were talking, about, oh, the Bucks are slow and old, they're this, they're that. Like, look at Giannis's numbers so far this year. He's had some really big stat lines and he continued on Saturday, just taking advantage of a Mavericks team that has absolutely no size with Maxi Kleber being out with an injury and Derek Lively still being a rookie. Giannis loves to exploit rookies. He loves to take advantage of guys that have never seen him play before. He kind of dips in the bag. Also the put away dagger mid range jumper from Giannis. When have we seen that? When have we like that? That was a moment like if you could, I think, if you had a gif of real life, right? And you're like, how did you react to that? Think of the Joe Rogan gif where he holds Daniel Cormier back. Like that was me to Mitch at Worst Bar. And also, by the way, speak really a quick aside on Worst Bar, giving out recommendations all over. My guy Tim works there, who is at the Bucks playoff run. Worst bar might be the official tapping the keg bucks bar. Um, I don't know if we're getting we're close. We're closing in on that. Uh, conversations contracts are still being had, uh, but we might transition our our money from the Broadhouse to Worst Bar. But more to come there. But yeah, great night for Ante Kubo. and that dagger shot was fucking incredible. Damian Lillard was not as good as from three on Saturday as he was on Friday, but got to the free throw line a bunch, 27 points, 12 assists, hit a huge game time three late, drew a three point foul on Kyrie Irvin late. Like he did, he made a bunch of winning basketball plays. And that is again, why you have Damian Lillard. And we said that a lot here this month, but it speaks to the, what Dame is as a player and why he's a valued asset, why the Bucks traded for him. It was on full display in this game. Uh, Pat Conten's closing minutes on Saturday night was great. He had two big threes from the corner as Mitch called it, Connie's corner. Uh, 16 points for him. Uh, Pat Conten had a really good week. I think there was a lot of conversation about maybe Pat content's role should be reduced or maybe he should be in trade talks just because he had not really been hitting shots. And suddenly he heard the rumors. He heard the haters. Uh, he was good against the Raptors. I think he had a good game against the Bulls too. Like solid stuff from Conten, Uh, especially part of that late game closing lineup with not having Chris Middleton out there, uh, who was obviously not playing on the back-to-back. I loved Andre Jackson on Luka early. Uh, Andre Jackson started this game and he picked up Luka right away and had no fear about it. He didn't exactly play well against Luka, but like the confidence that Adrian Griffin instills in Jackson, that, hey, you can guard Luka. You can do this. Like, I look forward to the Boston media mafia's brains breaking when they watch Andre Jackson Jr. against Jason Tatum. Uh, Cause they're gonna be like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, what? Like, this guy's in the books? The old and slow books? Yeah, it's... It, uh, trust me. Celtics... I realize that there's probably no Celtics fans that listen to this podcast. And Bill Simmons is no who the fuck I am. But I, I just would like to tell Celtics fans, if there are ones that listen or your buddies are Celtics you better hope we don't win. And like it's going to be bad for you. And they're going to bury it because tomorrow the next day's Thanksgiving, so no one's going to be recapping, no one's going to be talking about it, but they better hope that <laughs> that the the Bucks don't win, win that game. Uh Giannis only taking 10 shots on Friday, not a big deal. I saw a couple people on Bucks Twitter, Twitter making a big deal out of it, but Bucks Twitter makes a big deal out of fucking everything. Uh that's not bad that Giannis isn't involved when you're winning, okay? Like, if you're a winning basketball game and they, they won by, what, 31 points? I don't care. I really don't care how Giannis gets his points. And if he's he still had a decent day. And, again, we've just talked about how gaudy his stat lines have been. So one night, it did not exactly, it was not a Giannis night. That's okay. We don't need Giannis nights every night. And I think that's the hope with Lillard is that you're going to have nights where Damian Lillard is the guy and he's the one leading the charge. And him and uh, Malik Beasley were splash bros out there. They were 11 for 20 from three in that game. The Bucks overall had 22 threes. The second straight game they had had with 20 plus three pointers. They had 17 on... Uh, Saturday night, like they are they hitting their shots uh, again. And I think that's another big thing about why the Bucks are starting to win more basketball games. And I know that's very John Madden, you know, of me, but it's it's true. It's like if you you hit these shots that weren't falling earlier in the year, all of a sudden you're gonna look like a better basketball team, right? And maybe you're getting better looks. Uh, also worth noting, Brooke Lopez, great game on, on Friday as well. Uh, 15 points, eight boards, seven blocks, like really, really strong stuff. Uh, from Brook Lopez as well, but yeah, great weekend for the Bucks. And now you get Washington twice. Um, you get them for a regular game in Washington. Then you go to Boston for an awesome matchup with the Celtics, and then you go back home and play Washington for the in-season tournament. And which we didn't know, and we kind of learned, you know, as the Bucks dominated the Hornets in the fourth quarter it's all based on point differential. So if the Bucks wanna get into the in-season tournament quarterfinal, they need to have the, the proper point differential to get in. And so that is going to be a huge part of if you advance or not. And the Bucks now have an 18, plus 18 point differential with games left against the Wizards who you can build your point differential against and the Miami Heat, uh, and those will be the last of it. The Bucks and Heat right now are at two and O together respectively, but they will try to get in on point differential and keep winning these games. And I would imagine that the Wizards, they're gonna try to stack those on Friday. Friday is a much more important Wizards game, but you don't wanna lose those two games to the Wizards. The Wizards are an awful basketball team. The You should not lose one game to the Wizards. I realize it's the NBA, it's basketball, it happens, but that Washington team is really fucking sad right now. They also have Portland on Sunday afternoon, uh, which is kind of nice with the NFL. It's right at the witching hour start at 2.30, so which is not great. I would like that at a 3.30 time. I haven't looked at the NFL Sunday slate, but yeah, we get a little Bucks basketball in the afternoon, you could throw a red zone on your computer. You're living good on, uh, on Sunday afternoon with Bucks. Basketball, so uh, we'll see how they uh, how they handle uh, the Wizards, and hopefully they don't. You know, it's not a look-ahead spot to the Celtics, uh, but yeah, it's a great weekend for your Milwaukee Bucks. All right, a uh, few smaller things to kind of talk about before riding out for today. Uh, Brand, uh, no, I want to start Maui, uh, Marquette's in Maui, uh, actually Honolulu, but the Maui Invitational. One of the the I think it actually is the most loaded. Uh, Maui Invitational that we've ever seen. Uh, It is an absolutely stacked group of teams. You have Tennessee versus Syracuse. You have Purdue versus Gonzaga, Kansas versus Chaminade, and Marquette versus UCLA. And that game will be taking place at 1030. I will tell you right now, there there will not be a pod. We won't talk about that game on tomorrow's podcast. I'm still kind of figuring out the schedule for this week, by the way. But we will kind of talk about both Marquette games after Tuesday, uh, wherever they end up landing. But the UCLA game is interesting because it comes down to two things, I think, really. UCLA has a ton of size. Adam Bona and, oh yeah, the other guys, he's 7'3". He's, he's massive, uh, good player too. Uh, Ajay Mara Mora, uh, they have two massive dudes inside with Bona and Mara, 6'10", 7'3". And the Marquette doesn't have a ton of size. And they do, they are one of the taller teams in the NCAA 13th overall in terms of their average height. So they are a big, big team. I think it's imperative for Marquette to get one of those guys in the foul trouble early and often. I think it's attack them early. Um, I would expect you're gonna see a lot of Ben Gold early. I I don't I wouldn't advocate for Bengold to start in this. Maybe I don't I, I don't know. Maybe you do go Bengold to start, right? Do you put Bengold out there with the starting lineup? You put Joplin on the bench. Not that it's like a demotion for Joplin, it's just really matchup specific. I know Joplin's a little bigger himself at what is he? It's 6'8. Like he, he's a big dude, but you if you're having gold and Oso there kind of counteracts Bona and Mara. I would assume that Bengold is is the first guy off the bench in this game. But the other part that's very interesting is not only is UCLA one of the tallest teams, they're one of the youngest teams in college basketball. They are 335, I think out of 356, in terms of youngest teams. And they're playing Marquette, who's one of the older teams, one of the more experienced teams. I think that's really going to work to Marquette's advantage, especially if this game's tight at the end. I assume it to be tight. Mick Cronin's a great coach. Mick Cronin knows that his team could be a bubble team this year. He's gonna wanna try to kind of squeeze out every potential win. And a win against Marquette would be a ultimate resume booster for the UCLA Bruins. So they Marquette just needs to kind of play within themselves, figure out how to handle the size of UCLA, UCLA has not played anybody that's worth a damn so far this year. They've played all cupcakes, uh, St. Francis, LIU. Only beating LIU by 20 points, by the way, is a little concerning because LIU is one of the worst teams in all of college basketball. So they do play Marquette, which is their first real test. And Marquette has already been tested. They played Illinois. I feel like that also works to their advantage. And this young team is, is gonna be in for a rude awakening. Also, it's going to be a pace game, right? Well, you know, Marquette plays at one of the fastest paces in all of basketball. Uh, they're sixth overall in terms of their offensive possession. They do not take a ton of time to push. Their tempo is, is more in the middle at 188, but UCLA so far has been really fucking slow. 330 in terms of their tempo. Uh, defensively, they're 340. They wanna grind you out again and offensively 252. So in with the bad, Marquette has struggled when the ba- they've played the Badgers in, in that sort of scenario. Rider was one of those teams, so maybe you can kind of look what she did against Rider and try to speed up UCLA and play more at your pace. That's another thing with a really tall team; they're not going to be as quick. They're not going to be as fast as you. And can you run a team like that out of the gym? And and we'll have to see. um But yeah, it's you know it's great to be in the Maui, and then if. Marquette does advance it it's going to be Kansas unless Chaminade pulls off one of the upsets of the year and Kansas is the best team in the country they're going to be number one coming out of this Uh, Kansas Marquette would be such a fun basketball game because it would be just buckets after buckets uh, Kansas with, with uh, just an absolutely loaded roster with Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson who had 20 rebounds against Kentucky, KJ Adams, Dewan Harris. Like it, It's gonna be a really, really fun game if we do get Marquette, Kansas uh, coming down the stretch because uh, that'll be a hell of a game uh, for those two teams. And it'll be late, 9.30 on, on Tuesday night, but well worth Staying up for. Uh, and we'll certainly, certainly discuss and, and sort of see. Um, but even if Marquette does fall to UCLA, it's not the end of the world. I think it's annoying that you have to play Chaminade, you know, the, the following day because that does absolutely nothing for your resume. Uh, and it just kind of, it kind of stinks, right? Like you're, you'll be able to win. I would assume you're probably going to get Gonzaga then in that, that, fifth round, fifth matchup. So if you can go two and one with a win against Gonzaga and get that on your resume, that's not terrible. And I don't think that you just hope UCLA isn't bad, right? And, but if you can able, if you are able to beat UCLA, you're able to beat Kansas and you even get to that Maui final, whether it's against Tennessee, Purdue, or Gonzaga for that matter. um, Yeah, the sky's the limit, right? Um, I, I think, I do think they should beat UCLA though. Like I I would be slightly disappointed if you lost to UCLA. I'm not discounting what UCLA is as a basketball team, but I also am, you know, I, I just think the the inexperience of UCLA outweighs their size. And I, I think Marquette should be able to win this game. And I, I really hope that they do. Um, that would be disappointing after, you know, what we saw against Illinois, because I felt like they were a very dialed in team. They were, you know, ready for the moment. And I think they'll be ready for Hawaii, I don't think the pressure of Maui will get to them. I, I and it's and again, it's kind of nice to play UCLA. I think out of the teams you could play in the first round, probably Gonzaga is the toughest. Uh, Purdue drew obviously the hardest one in there. Uh, Syracuse, you know, again another young team, new coach right? A different look in Syracuse, uh, but you'd probably say Syracuse or UCLA as the two teams that you'd most want to play other than Chaminade, of course. And I, I kind of like this Kansas got Chaminade because I mean, they won the national championship. I feel like you should kind of be rewarded for that. And and they did. So we'll, uh, we'll see what transpires on Monday night with the Golden Eagles. Um, and certainly we'll talk about it all week long. Brandon Woodruff. Uh, Brandon Woodruff was non-tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers on Friday night. Uh, that news came across that they weren't gonna give Brandon Woodruff $11 million. I felt like a lot of the over overreactions were kind of thematic. I felt like they were for effect. Um, I think it was just, hey, let's be mad at the Brewers again. Like, look, I love Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff is one of my favorite players that I've watched as a Brewer, um, and I, I definitely, I definitely like Woody. I think, by all accounts, he's one of the best guys that the Brewers have had. Just an overall good dude. But let's let's kind of get into the honesty corner here. Brandon Woodruff's not going to be playing all year, right? He has a shoulder injury, a, sh- a shoulder capsule injury that is not necessarily a guarantee that he's gonna come back and be great. Only like five guys have actually come back from this injury. This is a brutal injury for Brandon Woodruff. If this was Tommy John, I think there'd be a different discussion. And I also don't think that it's out of the realm of possibilities that Brandon Woodruff gets signed by the Milwaukee Brewers at some point that the Brewers let him go look for deals. He sees that there are no deals out there. He comes back to the Brewers and says, I wanna do a two year deal, backload that deal, say like two years, $20 million, backload most of that to next year's year's cap. If you can do that, I have no idea if baseball is allowed to do that. I assume they are, but if they aren't, um, then it's a little bit of a different story, but still, I don't know how anyone can look at this and say, oh yeah, it makes sense for Brandon Woodruff to get $11 million to just sit on the bench. That That is the nice thing to do, like, right? Because Brandon Woodruff is going through a pretty stressful injury and it's, you know, it, it's not necessarily one that, again, is, is a successful one all the time. Some people don't actually come back from it. But at the same point, like, when you're a small market baseball team, you gotta find every edge, you gotta find every corner. And Mitch said to me uh, when we were out on Saturdays, like, I just wish the Brewers would do, do the nice thing every once in a while. And, I, and like, I get it and I, I understand that. And, 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 and while that's true, I think that's sometimes the, the issue you run into with the small market. This happens with small market teams because you have to sort of do everything you can to make sure you have enough dollars to go sign someone else. And you need to sign Brandon Woodruff's replacement unless you plan to use rookies and put that money elsewhere. But that $11 million, hopefully will go to free agents. Now, if it doesn't, I, I will be a little upset, I'm not gonna lie to you, but I, I do think that they are gonna put that $11 million to good use. And I don't think that we should close the door on Brandon Woodruff. That's why I thought the reactions you know, on, on Friday night were a little over the top. It's like, guys, you gotta understand who we are. And, and people are, well, why don't they just be like Bucks? It's like, no, it's different. It's a different ballgame. There's no salary cap. It is a major fucking issue. And I still think they're gonna to try to sign Jackson Trio this off season. I think they're gonna give Jackson Trio a massive deal. And he'll have a deal before even starting as a Milwaukee Brewer. And they'll do what Corbin Carroll got with Arizona or what Acuna got with the Braves. I think they are gonna to try to run that exact same playbook with Trio uh, because I think it's going to be worth it. And if that's what the $11 million for Brandon Woodruff goes to, how can you be mad about that? You can't be. So. I understand that Brandon Woodruff's a brewer for life. He's a great brewer. He's an awesome dude, but sometimes you gotta be an asshole when you're a small market baseball team. And unfortunately, Brandon Woodruff, you know, was impacted by that. But I felt like the brewers did everything they could. They were like, we tried to trade him. We tried to find, you know, and then realized that they weren't getting a lot of bites and said, all right, now we'll let Brandon, you know, kind of find his own team that he wants to sign to. And then also wrote a statement about how crushing this was. Like the Brewers didn't want to do this. I don't. This was one of those things they had to do because of a small market. Now you can like wave your hands and be like, "Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure." But if you read the quotes from Matt Arnold, you just can understand how devastating this was. I don't think the Brewers wanted to do this. They only had to do it because again you're not gonna pay an injured pitcher $11 million, especially when then you'd have to pay that same pitcher elevated money in this final year, which I think would be, Oh no, he's a free agent next year. So you wouldn't have to pay him the following year, but still, you're, not, you're just not going to do that. And so I, I, really, I really think that it's, it's just business. And I know it sucks. I know it's annoying, but it's not something that the Brewers could afford financially. And it's, it's the right move. It might It's not a popular move, but it's the right move. And I will say that, you know, sometimes the best organizations are the ones that don't do the popular thing and don't do the thing that the fans wanna do. And, you know, yes, does it send a bad message? Sure, absolutely. For the kids who have Woodruff jerseys, who the kids who modeled their game under Woodruff, absolutely. But again, you can't sort of placate all those people. So I hope that money's being put put to good use. I hope they don't sit on that money. Uh, I still feel like it's a long way to go before we know what the Brewers are. Uh, Murph, our friend, was saying, oh, what would you put an over under on the Brewers, you know, to start the for next year? And I was like, I have no idea. I mean, there's so many factors we don't know, right? What, what is, what do the Cardinals look like? What do the Cubs look like? What do the Brewers add? What do the Brewers subtract? You know, I, I think you'll start seeing things start to pick up the pace with baseball. Uh, it's weird because baseball doesn't have the free agency like window that we see with the NFL and the NBA where we have all these signings, you know, day one and and uh, the Schefters and the woges of the world are breaking all the stories. Like it just slowly leaks out. Like Nola, Nola signed uh, this afternoon right before football and comes back to the Phillies. I think he took less money to be with the Phillies uh, but was given a large deal. And again, this is the difference between a small market and a big market. The Brewers, there's no chance in hell they would have been able to bring back Aaron all also with contracts of like Castellanos, Harper, Trey Turner would never work, right? Like that's just, again, the haves and the have-nots, man. But it also kind of sucks that free agency for baseball is just like this, where it's like, okay, I think now, now the fun kind of starts because now you're over the non-tender stuff and you'll see, Rowdy Tellez also non-tendered. I don't think that's a surprise. Uh, that, that doesn't shock me in the slightest. Uh, Rowdy struggled this year. And again, he's not worth $5 million. So you freed up $16 million that hopefully Hugo's put it to good use. Uh, they did add Jake Bowers in a trade. He There's underlying numbers that could tell you Jake Bowers might be good. Uh, that's always a risk, right? Um, I, I feel like we, there's a lot of examples, good and bad. Rowdy was one of those where it's like, oh, the underlying numbers actually look good. It's one of those, believe it when you see it, right? If Maybe Jake Bowers would be good, but I, I'm not ready to you know, push my chips all in on that Jake Bowers is the first baseman of the future for the Brewers. I hope the Brewers aren't either. So we'll see if they make any moves uh, during this holiday period. Lastly, I just wanted to mention the Badgers quickly. Um, I didn't have tons ton of eyes on them on Saturday. I went back and watched sort of the long form highlights. Uh, I, was, I was more locked into the Bucks, honestly. And I feel like that was a good choice because it was an absolute slog of a game for the Badgers. They were down 14, nothing early. They found a way to win this football game. Uh, Nebraska kind of fumbled it at the end, right? Uh, they were driving down the field it looked like they could have went in for the game-winning touchdown, and Matt Rule kind of played for three. He played for overtime. It's an awful decision by Matt Rule, and he should have just won that football game. And I, I don't really get why he did that. Um, it, it's Wisconsin seemed on their heels. They seemed sort of tired, uh, but Braylon Allen, even though 62 yards, it was like it was pretty much thought that he wasn't going to play and he gutted it out there, and he was out there in the third and fourth quarter, really refusing to go out. And it seems like he'll probably go to the draft. I think it makes sense. Uh, I actually think we talking about it today at the bar, like might make sense for him to go transfer to an Alabama or a Texas, where A, he could get more exposure and maybe not be in the air raid system that Phil Longo is running. Uh, Cause I, it just doesn't necessarily work for Braylon Allen, but it's a pretty inspiring effort. And it kind of goes back to the comments that Waller and Mordecai made about who are our guys and who aren't our guys. And I feel like it really, it was a its a pretty good, like even though it was ugly for the Badgers, getting that victory, not losing another home game. I think that would have been their fourth straight home loss. Uh, and like leaving the regulars' home regular season out on the right note. Becoming bowl eligible. Now you have a chance to take the action Minnesota. Minnesota is awful. Uh, and you haven't beat Minnesota in three straight years, I believe. So this is a, you know, it's a big thing. And if you finish the year with seven wins, it's not perfect. The Indiana thing will, will always be a mystery. But it's still, you still have building blocks. You still have stuff that you say, all right, we can build on this. And the cupboard's gonna get a little bigger and it, it's going to be different. And I, I still though, don't think that there shouldn't be changes with the Badgers next season you know I think you keep Longo because I think you're recruiting guys for Phil Longo's system I think Mike Trestle is the one that I would personally look at and we talked about that I think last week with just all the defensive coordinators being available you know you have Aranda probably Zach Arnett's available Avalos like there are defensive coordinators that are readily available for the Badgers. And I, I feel like that's where what you look at for then looking at sort of a you know a full-scale change. Like I think shaking it up and getting rid of Longo and Trestle would be too much. I know some Badger fans probably will be for it. I, I just don't think that, that that is the right way to do it. Now Longo was mentioned as a potential option for Syracuse. Uh, hey, he's a New Jersey native, is recruited in the Northeast. Uh, that's a really interesting subplot, right maybe Longo you know gets out of the coordinator business and heads to be a head coach. I don't really see Phil Longo as a head coach personally. He doesn't he doesn't strike me as head coach. He strikes me as a coordinator. I don't think that should be where Syracuse looks, but maybe it is. And maybe that's where what they decide. And then that changes what the Badgers offense will look like. And and then we're having an entirely different discussion. But we'll sort of have to wait and see and see if that's actually a real thing or that's just Phil Longo's agent getting his name out there. Uh, to Bruce Feldman and Bruce Feldman does a great job with those coaching carousel stuff on uh, if you are unfamiliar like why are you talking about Syracuse job because Dino Babers got fired uh for those who are unfamiliar or did not know or did not see that on Sunday uh but yeah it it, it could be one or the other uh but yeah it, it's definitely something to monitor and yeah it's, you know Badgers, Badgers have a chance to go out on the right foot and get A decent bowl game. I, I didn't look at bowl projections. I always at this time you kind of start paying attention to our like what bowl our what bowl is Wisconsin going to be in? Let's see if we can find a bowl projection, uh, for the Badgers here. Off, oh, yeah, Jerry by our guy Jerry Palm. Oh, no, yes, we'll do ESPN. Sorry, Jerry Palm. Uh, I decided not to, uh, because let's see here, what do we got? I have to do the find and search for Wisconsin. Uh, right now, I got Music City Bowl, which is a Saturday afternoon. I actually missed that game because I had a Marquette game, uh, marquette Creighton, which I'd argue a little more important. Uh, and that would be against Auburn, uh, which would be a pretty good matchup because Auburn's bad. I mean, they lost to New Mexico State. Uh, that would <laughs> be a pretty ugly football game. Uh, but that's ABC, so not bad exposure. Or January 1st against Jaden Daniels and LSU, uh, which... They've never seemed to play well. It's the old Outback Bowl. It's now called the ReliaQuest Bowl. It's always it's it's going to be the Outback Bowl to me. Damn it! Uh, but that is one of the only the only two games on January first. It's crazy how little games they have. Oh no, the Rose Bowl I think is also on January first, right? They have only two games on the first. That that seems wrong. There there has to be has to be other January first games. We're not doing we're just doing two January first games oh no, the two college football semifinals are January 1st, the uh, Rose Bowl and then the Sugar Bowl. So there you go, um, which that'll be fun. And it looks like Rose Bowl, we could get a Pac-10 versus Big Ten matchup, which will be a Big Ten versus Big Ten matchup next year with Michigan-Washington or Michigan-Oregon. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have to see and then see if Ohio State also could crash the party. It's gonna be a really, really fun week of college football. Uh, with that, with, you know, the rivalry games, the now the Florida State thing, uh, with Jordan Travis going down with a really devastating injury. Again, another guy I would not hate if he falls to, like the fourth round for the Packers. And you can get Jordan Travis. I'm, I'm all about it. Definitely into that. All right, that does it for today's show. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Again, it's a weird week. Uh, the Maui thing's really throwing me off. Uh, I also... Start a new day job, so I think that's part of it too, um, where that makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, so, just keep your eyes and ears. I will have a podcast tomorrow. I just I, I don't think we'll recap Marquette. Uh, probably be pre-Marquette. They play at ten thirty, and then we'll talk Marquette at, after after Tuesday. So first two days, whether it's UCLA plus Charminad, if it's UCLA plus Kansas, um, we'll we'll certainly talk about. Those after Tuesday's Tuesday's game, so I think that's how we'll set it up, and we'll recap Bucks Wizards, we'll get ready for Packers Lions, uh, I'm sure a whole bunch of other stuff. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.